critical race theory. So critical race theory right now is a subject of major contention in the US. Uh, it's also in Canada and the UK and other places. It's intellectual heritage actually goes back to postmodernism, Foucault, a lot of the, um, the French philosophers who are concerned with knowledge being socially constructed. There was a split way back in uh, Thomas Kuhn's uh, scientific rev uh, the, the structure of scientific revolutions. And he had these paradigms. And he, the idea was that each sort of lens or frame of science is going to be different. In each age or each time frame that humanity has lived, since science has, has come about, they've had a different paradigm or frame in which they've viewed the world. And these different frames, these different paradigms, they are fundamentally not translatable to each other. So the idea is that we might be able to roughly dis discuss things with people of 200 years ago, but there's going to be certain parts of our worldview that are just not translatable to them and vice versa. So this had generally led people to start to see that knowledge is purely subjective. It's radically relative. What you know, I can't fundamentally know because it was your lived experience and there's nothing that can really be done about that. The problem comes with that is that that ultimately reduces to a radical relativism, which is to suggest that somehow someone is able to say, I know, like, I, like as if I have perfect knowledge of what everyone else knows, that you don't know what I know. So your personal experience is different than mine. But in order for me to say that, I actually have to know something about your personal experience. How do I know you don't know what I know? So there's this very, very tricky uh, game to be played with knowledge. And a lot of the political po uh, polarization has to do with that. It looks like the political left versus the political right. But what's actually going on right now is a battle of knowledge. People are trying to figure out how exactly they can know one thing or another thing. In politics, in how we govern ourselves as groups of people, we listen to the person that knows what's the right thing to do which means that we need to be able to decide how we know what we know. If we get into discussion of knowledge, some of the postmodernists and the critical race theorists are going to immediately point out the fact that what has been considered knowledge for a long period of time has been held in the hands of the powerful. So what, when somebody says, I know what is best or I know something, they're not actually using reason or truth or any kind of honest dialogue to get there they're actually just quashing down on the weak with their power. And the complex sort of scientific worldviews that they come up with are actually just yet further mechanisms to oppress the weak and to maintain their power. But that also puts us into a very tricky position because then how do we know which of the powerful are the ones that we should listen to and which are, of them are not? Right now how that looks is that some people are simply self-criticizing harder. And there's something trustworthy about somebody who's willing to criticize themselves and say that I too have made mistakes and I too uh, am evil in some sense. And that's getting a lot of mileage in the critical race theorists right now. They are really, um, that argument has become very viral, very mimetic. And that's sort of where things are at right now. The problem with that is like with any particular idea that becomes very popular and spreads rapidly, Ideas can mutate, and sometimes the most important elements of the idea get lost. Doubting things and having a very high standard of knowledge is good. 
But if we could become extreme about our doubt about, about what each other know, then all of a sudden we slide into a worldview where nothing is particularly true. And we're not really able to ever make decisions. We can only ever criticize things. A person who's only ever able to criticize things is using a standard of knowledge, which is to say, I can only know something if I know it 100%. And this is totally forgivable because for most of the philosophy of, uh, of science and epistemology, we have held that what knowledge is, is a justified true belief. And to know something that is true and we can justify it as true means we should know it and we should know it fully. And if we don't know it fully, we can't really say that we know it. So what we mean by I know something, if what we mean is I know it 100%, then we're never going to get there. We can never really say we know anything and then we're stuck in power games. The way that we can pry open the door of getting along together is to have a better idea of what we mean when we say we know something. Right now, there is actually a revolution amongst the more hard sciences moving towards something called mechanisms and mechanistic explanation. And in that new worldview of mechanistic explanation is inference to the best explanation. Inference to the best explanation is itself not a new idea, but the idea is we're moving slightly away from that scientific laws, say laws of physics, govern everything, to we do understand that we, we try and give our best explanation for what's going on, but it's not always going to be perfect. And in that, there is a tool to actually start to get along again, which is we have to start comparing our explanations. So when one political group or another political group um, starts to have a disagreement, the key to resolving that disagreement has to do with, well, why don't you present why you think what's going on is going on? I'll present what's going on, what I, why I think it's happening from my own perspective. And then the difference from what would, how that would happen before is, well, we're gonna argue about the specific facts here and there and going one way or another way. Um, the magic ingredient is we have to ourselves point out why I could be wrong. And if I am willing to criticize myself for being evil, for example, or participating in a racist system, or the fact that the socio-cultural milieu that I come from has made mistakes, I should also be willing to criticize myself for that I could actually be wrong in my perceptions, including my most deeply held beliefs, and not only just saying that that's possible, but actually exploring the ways that I could be wrong. So let's say that we go to a hardcore Catholic who's a conservative and they come from the deep south and all that kind of thing. In a healthy debate, this person will say, I believe why the family unit is breaking down. I believe why guns are good and et cetera, et cetera. I could be wrong. That's a good starting place. But what this person also needs to be able to do if they want to engage in a, a really knowledge-seeking discussion is to say, why it's not the other way. And when I do that, I have to say, well, let's say that guns provide a certain level of security. And in that case, that security could be given by a different strategy than having guns. And to explore what those other strategies could look like. And immediately we can feel our emotional attachment to our position. The idea is that if I'm confident in my theory of why we should have guns, then I should also be able to explore that really ultimately what I'm talking about is some mechanism of security. And there should be other ways of, of achieving that security. If I can't say why not in my explanation of why, I haven't actually provided a why. That's the, the key thing in the theory of mechanisms. And the same thing is true of the critical race theorists. 
why is the disparity amongst different ethnic groups so prevalent in prisons? Why are there higher percentages of African Americans in prison than, than say, for example, Caucasian white, white Americans? That we could have some explanation for why that is and why we should do things a particular way or a different way. Is there another way that we could achieve that? And if I can't even begin to explore an alternative worldview, then I'm not really, I don't really have a why. I only have, uh, because I don't have a why not. You need to have both a why and a why not in order to have a, a real explanation for what's going on. So as an example, if I think that I want to explain why a car turns left or turns right down the road, and I just say the turning mechanism, and I don't explain the structure of the steering wheel and the steering column connecting to the wheels, then my turning mechanism can always explain why it goes left and goes right, but it can never explain why it doesn't go left or doesn't go right. There's no counterfactual why not. And similarly, if we try and give an explanation for why there's conflict or, or disparities in the United States or any other country, our explanation also needs to include a why not. It has to have specific structures linked to the why that would explain why it would not happen. So the challenge for the critical race theorists is to explain why would racism not occur? And if it's never possible to not occur, then they haven't really explained why it is occurring in the first place. To give the critical race theorists their due, they are trying their best to do something good. I believe that their intentions are good. There's going to be, of course, some tribalism involved, as in any period in human history and any philosophy. That's unavoidable. And the best thing that op opponents to a critical race theory can do is to recognize that the psychology of the people that are adhering to the critical race theory are none other than their own psychological mechanisms. Anybody could have been an SS soldier in the German Reich in World War II. You have the same fundamental psychological mechanisms. As do proponents of critical race theory, as do the Catholics, as do white supremacists. We all have the same underlying uh, flaws and uh, bonuses in the way our psychology is